Welcome to the Theo 101 Pop Culture Smackdown for this week's Big Word of Savior. <laughs> Almost sounds like an air raid uh, siren. We're, we're heading toward the, the end of the semester. And I can feel it. <laughs> I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Phil Collins, yes, 1989. Yes. Underrated artist. Very underrated. I, w- I once went on a Phil Collins odyssey when just listening. He's, to I think he's really I have good. Apple Music, and so sometimes I'll yeah. listen, and I was like into like, what is prog rock, and like, what was it, and so on. and like. But I also discovered that process that Phil Collins has one of the most critically panned albums of all time. What was it? I forgot what it was called, but I listened to it, and you know what? I can see why they didn't like it. Oh, sad. Okay, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land this plane yep. here on Savior, because yep. he wrote one of my favorite, like, Christological Jesus-y really? kind of pop songs called Hero. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it you can interpret it. Sure. Christian-y. Sure. But yeah, it's it's good. I see what you mean. Yeah, it was one of those great stories. Have you ever gone to a church service where in the church service they maybe tried to use like some kind of pop music but with different lyrics? To oh like yes, of course. Yeah. How about you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so the first one I remember it? Yeah. is um is it Green bomb, spirit in the sky, going up to the, the spirit, spirit in the, the spirit sky. sky. Yep. And um, they didn't really change a lot of the lyrics, yeah. uh, but I think they did like, I am, a, let's see, something like, uh, oh, instead of saying, I'm not a sinner, I've never sinned, mm-hmm. I've got a friend in Jesus, they're like, I am a sinner mm-hmm. and I have sinned and I've got a friend in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a little on the nose. How about you? I heard a Coldplay thing, which was like, you know, the song Yellow. You know I love you so. It was like, you know, he died for you. Sad. Oh, (laughs) Oh, you know what I remember? Okay, first off, that's there's so many layers to that because so many worship bands imitate Coldplay. So it's sort of like a meta, meta, meta. Yeah. Hey, Coldplay, use this. (laughs) That's good. I went to... um, a Coldplay concert when they were on tour with that album. Oh, that's, really? Yeah, that's the first album. The, yeah, I went yeah. to Coldplay tour awesome, with uh, Russia Blood to the Head when they were still not Ooh. a cultural joke. Yeah, yeah. I still, you know this who was before? You know who loves Coldplay is my youngest daughter, Junie. Really? Yep, absolutely. Aww. I think she's just really into the drama and the epicness of it. My my son really likes Green Day. I don't know what that says. <laughs> Probably like forty percent of the class right now is like, "What are we who doing? Who are these people? <laughs> who are these we're people?" We're talking about Jesus, the we're, Savior. We're talking about the Savior. This is the Theo Pop Culture Smackdown. Yes. So you can expect us to infuse some pop culture sensibilities into this, people. <laughs> I like how you're bringing it back to what we're talking about. We yep. were talking about. We spent the whole week thinking about what it means that Jesus mm. is the Savior right. of the whole world, of humanity, the universe, mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next question it kind of begs is how do you know that you are one of his people? Like, how do you know you're right. saved? If Jesus is a savior, do you get saved then by Jesus? And probably even if you're not a Christian or you're not super familiar with Christianity, or you haven't even been to a church service who tried to use pop music in a Christian sense by changing the lyrics. We're sad for you. We're sad for <laughs> you. Um, but we do know that you probably have heard a term like Jesus saves, you know? Yes. And it's worth thinking you know, even for the next couple of weeks, maybe in different ways about like what that actually means. And so, you know, like just this, this Christian issue of conversion, there's a sense in Christianity, no matter what we disagree about in this debate, oh friends, which is about to get heated real, real fast. Oh yeah. um, That you have to convert. You go from something to something else. Yes. And you become in a real way, like a different person. Yes. Like that's important to all forms of Christianity. I think, and everyone has to kind of agree that there's, there is something like John the Baptist in, in the book of Mark is like, you know, and Jesus goes out in the wilderness and his first thing is like, repent. And you have to uh-huh. like, 
You, you can turn around. You got to turn. You got to yeah. t- turn it around. Yep. Here's here's a question though that I think we want to ask. One of the most popular forms in American Christianity today for thinking about conversion for a lot of people mm-hmm. is this thing we might loosely call the sinner's prayer or accepting yes. Jesus into your heart yes. as a particular way of marking that conversion. It's been particularly popular. And here I pitch it to you for an impossibly short summary. Yes. Oh, historian of American here religion, Dr. Payne. Mm-hmm. It's been particularly important for American evangelicals. Yes, that is true. What students probably hear that word. And we've probably even used that word in the podcast before this, this in this series evangelical but like what does that actually mean like who is an evangelical how would you know if you were an evangelical what does that word mean now can you give us like a good your best like two to three on that oh my goodness okay so (laughs) there's actually a lot of books out about this so it's it is what um in my field we would call a contested term so in some ways it it sort of depends on who you ask but um, there's a historian, a guy named um, David Bebbington, who argues that there are certain qualities or values or kind of ethos, I guess, mm-hmm. that makes an evangelical an evangelical. Mm-hmm. And it, it has to do with the Bible. So biblicism. So if you're really into the Bible, the if your Bible, church is really into the Bible, intu- you just might important. be you just might be an evangelical. You just might be an evangelical. Crucicentrism, which means you think that the crucifixion Mm. is really important. Like even like you think Jesus' teachings are cool, but really the crucifixion is really where this mm-hmm, is at. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um conversionism, okay. which means you believe in converting from whatever it was you were before right. into this this form of Christianity mm-hmm. and activism. Oh. So there are which means you think you should do something about it. Right. Not so, just not just kind of sit and you have your Bible and you're mm-hmm. just like, that's it. It's a private thing. It's got to be public in some way. Yeah. And other historians have added this idea that you think that the Holy Spirit is alive and working mm. in in the world, like like a spirit oriented. And I think that just reflects the idea that there's just mm. a lot of people that say that they're from like the charismatic or Pentecostal tradition that are now evangelical. But so it's just this idea. Do you think the Bible's important? Do you think that mm-hmm. the cross is important? Yeah. So if you think about it, like, do you hear a lot of sermons about the incarnation, like Jesus being born? Or do you hear more sermons about Jesus in at the cross? Uh, Ah, I see. You know, um, do you do you emphasize like this conversion and do you think then you need to like go out and do something about it? At the risk of simplifying, because people are so complex and churches are so different, could you even go a step further and say, if you go to a church that's kind of like this or you do and hear these things, you're probably an evangelical. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then, of course, people like I think now that that term is a little tricky because it has gotten associated with a certain political orientation, mm. like a kind of conservative white Republican like that it's gotten like categorized in that way but yeah. there are lots of people from many different like different political parties different races and ethnicities mm. and social like standing in the in the nation who share those qualities sure. so yeah it sort of depends on how you might not like like taking on that term because you might not want to associate yourself yeah. with it but if you you know broadly defined if you grew up and if you believe that the bible is really important that the cross is like a central part of your theology yeah. um, that you need to go out there and do stuff and that you have been converted. Is that it, is really important. Is it fair to say if you grew up and a lot of students today, students, you, a lot of times you have churches with these names and so on and you don't even maybe know whether they're part of a so-called denomination or a group. But do you think it's fair or unfair to say if you are part of a church that's like Baptist, Assemblies of God, Foursquare, um, 
probably lots of not, lots of non-denominational churches that are just like Church of God of the River of the Woods the of vast, life. The vast majority of non-denominational. You are if you're if you are part of a church like that, yes. you are probably an evangelical. Is that fair to say? That is absolutely fair. Yeah. Christian Church, Church of Christ. Yeah, I think that. And uh, um, so George Fox was founded by what's usually called the Evangelical Friends mm-hmm. um, tradition. So it, it's in the roots of the school. Right. That's that crew. Mm-hmm. So. For that crew, we're about to talk when, when it comes to how do you know when G, when you know Jesus has become your savior or you're being saved or you are saved? Mm-hmm. Well, usually American evangelicals will point to a moment of conversion, right? Known as accepting Jesus into your heart or accepting. the sinner's prayer. I've heard in scholarly circles this type of thing as like a religious studies term called crisis conversion. Mm-hmm. Like when you think of That's a crisis, right. like there's a there's a very identifiable particular moment when you become a part of the new movement, let's say. Yes, there was a really uh, famous American preacher, a guy named Charles Finney, who really amped that up. He had this thing in his church services he called the anxious bench, Ooh. which was basically that he sounds would, like I'd be sitting there every week. Uh-huh, the whole service, <laughs> probably all the academics would. Yeah. But the whole service was oriented around creating this moment of crisis where you might come and be at the anxious bench and know that it was your time to publicly say that you had converted and become a Christian. It makes me feel anxious just thinking about it. Yeah, the whole service was oriented toward (laughs) making that feeling happen. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and those students of you you might know what we're talking about too if you don't already we're like driving this home like so hard if you've ever been part of a church service or a spiritual environment where someone said okay everyone bow your heads and close your eyes like yep is anyone feeling in their heart like this message is just really you know you raise your hand and maybe it's like you're you're even asked to either at your seat or even to get up and come down to the front and pray a very particular prayer and sometimes the pastor will even pray it out loud for people and i think i'll try to do a version of that prayer now which is something like to say lord i acknowledge that i'm a sinner I, I see that I have not lived up to your standards. I, I, I'm, I'm broken and I need a healer. And I want to ask you right now to be that healer and to fix me and to come into my life and to come into my heart. I accept you as Savior. I believe that you rose from the dead. And I accept you as my Lord and Savior today. It's like some version of that. They'll even have sometimes people repeat those phrases. Like That was pretty good, actually. Was that because, decent? Yeah, yeah, because the Billy Graham Foundation has, like Billy Graham had a kind of formula, and that mm-hmm. was really close Famous to preacher it. throughout the 20th mm-hmm. century. Probably the most famous evangelical in America in the 20th century. Ha- has to be. Has to be. Um, and so he, he yeah, they, they um, you'll see versions of what's called the sinner's prayer, like on a little card mm-hmm. that you might give to somebody. Mm-hmm. It makes its way into like, popular art that mm-hmm. ends up in in many people's homes or in like bookstores so yeah that that idea that's what we're actually going to be we should debate that today. we should debate does whether, that make a real conversion we should debate whether or not that's actually a real way to get converted and or whether there's actually a dark underside to it that maybe people don't think about that's actually makes it a, a absolutely not a good spiritual practice at all to yeah. pray a sinner's prayer yeah i love that let's let's, let's argue do it. Let's, let's do argue it. back and forth Oh, I was going to play the keyboard oh, there, but I'm off the I'm screen. I'm going to do, wait. There we go. Okay, so who's going to take the pro or the con side? Okay, I'm going to flip the coin. <sighs> oh, this, suddenly the stakes on this feel very high. It does, it does. Okay, <laughs> you you call, I'll flip. Okay, I call, tails never fails. Okay, flip. <laughs> Heads, ha ha ha. That's not tails never fails. <laughs> tails failed. Okay, so let's see. I choose. That makes you pick oh, pro or con. Are I'm gonna say I'm gonna say con that conversion, Ooh. like the sinner's prayer, is not. Okay. 
I guess that means I'm the arguing right way. pro that it is the right way that we should be thinking about um, conversion. <laughs> okay. And then, I've got the timer as already. always, we'll do our debate three minutes each. We will do five minutes of open sparring and acknowledging good points from the other. And then we will do the big reveal, my friends. That's right. Okay. I've got the timer ready. You tell me when. Okay. And go. The pro argument for the sinner's prayer, for the accepting Jesus in your heart prayer, is this, good students and people. Number one, it's in the Bible. Okay, I could point to a couple of, of scriptures for this. Like um, like in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, there's an image where Jesus says, listen, I'm, this is Revelation 3.20, I'm standing at the door, I'm knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. So there's a moment there. It's an image, right, of coming in the door. But nonetheless, it's an image of a moment. Romans 10 is the more famous passage, I think. Romans 10, 9 through 13, roughly, says, quote, If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. The scripture says no one believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I think that the Romans passage in particular gives a model for even what that sinner's prayer was that I just I just said. I think about this too, bigger emotional level. You have to think about the emotional process of conversion, what it means to go from one way of life to another as Christian faith requires. Conversion and repentance, dramatic, memorable moments, people, are a key part of the faith journey. That would be true like in a marriage, right? Like you wouldn't just be like, okay, I guess we're just married now. Let's shake hands. No, you have a ceremony. There's a big moment. You wear special clothes. You do something in front of people. If there's no crisis moment like this, a believer could be left to wonder, you know, like like where they stand with God, right? There's room for some wondering, but we should be confident in our faith, uh, not not insecure. Um, you know, I think of a passage like John 10. Jesus says, I, he's talking about his followers. He says, I give them eternal life and they shall by no means perish forever. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My father is greater. No one shall snatch them out of my father's hand. Like that reassurance, I think, to have a crisis conversion moment marked by a sinner's prayer, a ritual, you could call it like that, I think would be something that you could go back to in your life of faith. Now, now, as with any aspect of faith or life, okay, one could be totally extreme or take this too far or out of hand. Insincere prayers are not faith, right? Like maybe, and it might be the case that not everyone who believes they're making a, a conversion prayer like this, actually that it works. Like words are not like magic. Like Christians don't believe in magic, okay? But I would invite you, I guess, and probably what is um, no doubt my last like 40 seconds here or so. How many seconds do 33, I have? 33. Come on! You're doing great. Okay, there's a story in, <laughs> in the book of Luke, chapter 23, only in Luke, in, in the crucifixion story where a thief, who's being crucified alongside Jesus for serious crimes says, you know, there's one thief on one side of Jesus is like, ha ha, you know, save yourself, Jesus, aren't you the Messiah? And the other thief is like, hey, don't you fear God? And then he looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me, please. And Jesus says, you know what? Today you'll be with me in paradise. That shows you that conversion, no matter what you've done or who you are, can be something that happens in a moment. Salvation is complex. There will be twists and turns. But what if it's also very simple? As simple as a prayer. That would be so God. Wow, that was a pretty slick ending there because it just ended Woo! right with the bell. <laughs> Excellent job, okay, Dr. Okay, okay. That okay. was breathless. But now it is your turn. Tell me when my three minutes start. To defend the con, the sinner's prayer is okay. not the way. Okay. Your three minutes starts now. Okay, I'm going to suggest to you that the sinner's prayer is not the preferable way of knowing or being known as a saved person. Really, it comes down to this. At the end of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says in Matthew 28, 
what the disciples are ought to do. They should make disciples of Jesus. And what does it mean to be making disciples? He Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in this model, this intellectual ascent, just, you know, like changing your mind and saying you believe about something is not enough to become a disciple of Jesus. It needs to be followed by a physical act that is done in Christian community. So I would argue that the sinner's prayer is really an incomplete conversion. So you need more than just a mental exercise. You need like your whole body to be involved according to traditional historic Christian teachings. In fact, this idea of doing a sinner's prayer is a much later invention. And that I think is associated more with the American impulse for making things efficient and like fast and marketable and quippy and like soundbiteable because the reality of a Christian conversion, at least according to people like great people like John Wesley, is that it takes actually a lifetime. Like this salvation process takes time and it involves your body. It involves going under the water and being born again. Um, And it involves like church accountability and authority structures. So the idea of just saying like, I can say this prayer and then I'm saved. I think it actually encourages a kind of, um, well, some people can treat it like it's like this magic formula, like, like bibbidi bobbidi boo. All of a sudden Mm -hmm. I become Cinderella. All of a sudden I become Christian. No, actually it doesn't, that doesn't acknowledge the lifetime of conversions of like every day, like daily conversions of becoming more and more like Christ. So, and I think there's a huge unanswered question when it comes to this. If we consider the sinner's prayer to be this, um, the moment of conversion, we have to ask ourselves, what happens if our minds break? So nobody likes to think about that. But if we think of Christian conversion as like a mental ascent, like I believe this and I've confessed this, then we have to ask some really uncomfortable questions. What if I get Alzheimer's? What if I'm in um, like in some way I have a, a break in my mind to where I can't actually think those thoughts? Or what about people who are not able to give the kind of intellectual ascent that we'd like we think that they need to confess. Are they, do they have no hope of being saved? I think we need a more fully bodied version of the conversion process to testify to the fact that God is saving us. The last thing I'd like to say is that these kind of moments, this crisis moment of conversion, in addition to being associated, it, it lends itself to coercion. So you can, like, people are very influenceable, and if they're in big groups, um, it would be a shame for someone to have a false conversion experience just because they felt peer pressure from their friends. The ends. Am I done? <laughs> that almost sounded like the Star Wars theme. Okay, I gotta <laughs> say, I gotta say, you had some really good, good one. points that in there. That was really good. Okay, can I start with a great point that sure, you made? Sure. You know, there's part of me that wants to be like, okay, if you if if you get Alzheimer's, if if your mind goes in a different direction, many people would just say, look, like God can take care of it, and that's special. But I th- I think that that point that you brought up is actually more serious than sweeping it away that way, um, by saying that because um, we know how different we all are intellectually and mentally, and so to think about, um, yeah, that 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 would be a real problem, and I th- I think that you wouldn't want to think of salvation in a way that would that would be a serious problem for people who 
who are in really difficult places, which is more are more people than we might think. You know, the thing that actually brought that to mind was the fact that I think I've said this on on the podcast before that my spouse is a hospital chaplain. Mm-hmm. So he's with people in very difficult. You don't call a hospital chaplain when you're like having the best day of your life. Right. right. Like it's right, usually right. really difficult circumstances. Right. And he has seen people in the process of of like. I don't know if this is a weird phrase, but actively dying, like they're right. going to die. Right. And he has seen them um, respond to like their pastor in these involuntary ways, like their body, like when they hear the Lord's prayer, mm-hmm. they start to say it along, even if they, it's been years since they've spoken a word, oh, wow. or if they're offered communion, their mouths will just automatically open because there's something, even though they wouldn't be like there, there the way we would think, mm-hmm. like the way you and I are talking right now, their bodies are like also saved, you know, like that wow. God has like put it, you know, they through over time they practice that. So that's what made me think of it. One of the really good points that I think you made, and I didn't even directly address it in mine is mm-hmm. this idea that there are many places in the scripture that talk about confession mm-hmm. as a really key part to being saved. Right. So I think that that's, that's a hard one. And you can see where the sinner's, sinner's prayer comes from. Well, right. Well, why don't we use that then as a point of sparring sure, here? Let me sure. let me throw that to you. Like what from your perspective in the debate here, how do you address that issue? Do you just say that I guess you'd have to say that from your perspective, confession is not like wrong or bad or moments aren't bad. They're just like not a moment when salvation occurs. Well, I think that I would have to say that it's an incomplete portrait of mm-hmm. the way the Bible talks about becoming saved. Mm-hmm. So like the Bible or at least the the New Testament doesn't necessarily ha- talk about a crisis moment in mm-hmm. that way. They do. T- it does talk about confession, but then there are all kinds of passages about like taking up your cross and mm-hmm. like, um, you know, the Apostle Paul has a really famous section where he talks about like, you know, I I'm like working out his salvation daily, right? Like, mm-hmm. what is that? You know, like that. This is a, a really long and difficult process. Um, and so I think from from my perspective, the perspective that I'm taking on, um, just saying like a moment of conversion is just not enough, mm. like that moment of crisis. I My second place vote for what I liked that you said, because this this is something that makes a lot of sense, is to say faith is not about merely mental assent. I yeah. thought that was I thought that was Thank good. You. My my response to it though is like, okay, but what's the opposite of that? Like mental unassent? Does it does it not matter what you believe? And I'm I'm thinking of people who are like, yeah, you know, Jesus was probably good, resurrection from the dead, that's kind of dumb. Um I go to church and I might go through the rituals, but I don't actually believe this. I believe it has some symbolic importance. Like many evangelicals at least would say that that person is not a Christian. But in your um paradigm, it almost sounds like that person could be a Christian. Yeah, that's true. Actually, <laughs> in my paradigm, it does. It does. Um, so, and I think, I think that I, I'm going to go back to another podcast that we've had where we talked about doubt and the mm. importance of doubt. I think, um, the concentrating on this moment of confession and like confidence that this is what Jesus has done for you. And you definitely believe that doesn't really give yourself a lot of wiggle room for the natural ups and downs of life, mm. wherein you might actually be wondering like, is God real? Mm-hmm. Is God like, I don't even know if I believe this anymore. And I think that if you have like a really narrow articulation of salvation, that is just this moment of, mm. of, um, confession, then you could easily think like, maybe I'm not saved. Mm-hmm. But I think that, um, that doesn't like the, the scriptures include lots of people and lots of moments where there's just like anguish. And I'm not even sure like, well, Jesus himself got 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. Like that seems to be a moment where Book of Mark, dark moment on the yeah, cross. Jesus' yeah. last words in the Book of Mark, actually, not his last words in every gospel. Weirdly, I Jesus Jesus has different last words in all of the four gospels, but on in Mark, it's my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, I thought Quote from Psalm twenty one. It's think, it's yeah. a really beautiful passage. There's so much anguish there. I thought one one good point that you really brought up was that I, and I love this story the story of the thief on the cross oh yeah um I think that 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 seems to suggest just acknowledging who Jesus is like is enough is enough because he doesn't even go through that whole thing like you know no he doesn't, he doesn't say doesn't the same prayer that's yeah, right well yeah. it could suggest maybe even apart from either of our arguments and I guess here we're now blending into the post the post sparring it wasn't a super mean sparring session we had right there <laughs> no, okay, but no, we're into nice. the post discussion now leading up to the big reveal but i think it does suggest both in favor and uh, of and against both of our points in a different way that maybe i don't know maybe god works out things differently for different people in different ways and there's actually not a single template for salvation but that would be a little unnerving i think for m- many christians to think like okay there's no actual right way there's no clear way i don't know do i just do what my community does you know like what do i do how do i know whether it's working it's not an unimportant question to know whether it worked or not, right? Right. Well, I mean, we're going to talk about this a lot um, next semester as well when we start talking about different forms of, of Christianity, like mm-hmm. how it's shaped, it, how it it changes over time mm-hmm. um, after the, the events that are recorded in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that, to me, the thing that gives me some sort of um, like anchored feeling and i'd like to hear your thoughts on this is the idea if we if we say jesus saves which i think is an awesome bumper sticker sure um if we say that then we have to say that it's jesus who does the saving right and so we don't necessarily control that or we it's not really necessarily ours to to understand Mm. you know why and how because this thief on the cross like we don't really know much about his life maybe he was a really terrible person and in fact he says essentially like he deserves to be there well the worse he is the more scandalous that moment becomes Mm -hmm. even but that that's the scandal of that moment could actually bleed into any of our lives just Mm -hmm. uh, from uh, i feel like i'm speaking like a very good evangelical when i say that scandal is our own scandal in sin and in the depth of all of our depravity, that God saves us. That's we are the thief on the cross. Mm-hmm. Maybe the difference between him and us is maybe not. It's not so much. I sometimes wonder if we tend to, we tend to like you know that old cheesy thing emphasis on the wrong syllable. Like mm-hmm. we tend to look at the saves and want to dissect the 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 uh, mechanics of that. Like mm-hmm. how does it happen? And mm-hmm. and that probably means that probably tells us more about us and the the cultural context that we're in. Maybe we should emphasize the jesus part a little bit more okay well i think that was a great note on which we now need to ask what is your real position what's your real view dr leah Payne? what is your real position here on this issue my real position i gotta say it's 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 con i the position that i defended i i pretty much you pretty much much laid it out out there Yeah, yeah yeah i mean i tend to think that um while i and i'm i want to be clear i was converted in a very traditional evangelical sinner's prayer mm-hmm. kind of a way. So I don't You prayed it a few times. Oh yeah. Well that's that's one of the things I spoke from a little bit of experience. I did pray pray it many times. More than a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I came from a very altar call oriented church like where you get asked to come up for any number of things. Um and so while I, I actually see there's tremendous value in that and mm-hmm. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Mm-hmm. I just think that it leaves some things undone that mm-hmm. the scriptures talk about when it comes to being a disciple Hmm. you know that baptismal section that uh, 
students, like the idea of baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one of like the traditional theology words from that for that is a baptismal formula. Like mm-hmm. this is a formula for how you're supposed to do it. I'm kind of haunted by that. That's that's supposed to be somehow a part of right. our becoming Christian. What about you? But what the, is your position? But the same. Okay, I will answer. Yes. But this, I wanted to point out the yes. same evangelicals who have leaned very heavily into the sinner's prayer. Also, though, have tended to see baptism as like merely a symbol sometimes like, oh, That's right. or just like mm-hmm. communion. Like it's not really the body and blood. It's just like a symbol and baptism. It's, it's like an outward expression, but like it's not actually how you get. It's more of this ethereal, very personal. Here's what I think. Um, I think I, too, prayed the sinner prayer many times. And I will say that if I'm in a church setting today where they ask people to pray it, I don't raise my hand and go forward, but I will pray it oh, every certainly. time. Yeah. Because yeah. I just think it's a great prayer. Um, so I love it. Um, if I were, if one of my daughters came from a church setting and wanted to pray it or wanted me to pray it with them, I would definitely encourage it and do that. I do not think that the sinner's prayer is a magical ticket to heaven or a path by which you get saved. So I guess I'm kind of a con. I do believe my argument though, when I said that I think that the emotion of it is really crucial. Yes. Like to have a moment that you can point to. I do think there's just kind of an adult faith, though, that I I think there's a faith that sustains you in life at different times. When you were talking about the natural ups and downs of life. Yes. I was I was I was I was writing down. I I wrote texting high school boyfriend, quote, are we okay every five seconds? (laughs) Like, you know how people like there's a point in your relationship where you do that. You can't do that, though. After a while, you don't hear from somebody for two hours. You're like, are we okay? Could you you dare me right now? Should I just text my wife and be like, are we okay? (laughs) Your wife would be like, what is going on with I'm going to text my wife right now. I'm going to be like, are we I'm okay? I'm like, Susan, are we okay? <laughs> and I just dare not ex- you. I and dare not explain you. it. I've been married. I'll be, I've been married for 19 years this Yay May. Yay for you. I know d- Dr. Payne and her husband, Thomas, yeah. have been married for um, the same amount of time, even longer, actually. Yeah. 20 and almost. So it's like, there's a certain point in your relationship where you're not like looking toward things like that. Like, how do I know I'm saved? How yeah, do I know I'm yeah, saved? Yeah, how do yeah, I know yeah. we're in love? How do I know we're together? It's like, you get a confidence. And I think... Being maybe in a youth group in middle school or being a kid or maybe even being in high school, maybe even in college. Like, I don't know. I'm not here to judge this for you students to have a moment, a real crisis moment like I had in college for sure. And also about 100 times before college is super crucial and is the way God is working through your life. I'm also haunted by other, you know, like in Philippians chapter two, um, he says there to his audience, he's like, look, um, quote, work out your own salvation with fear and yes, trembling yes and jesus has some harsh things to say like i'm thinking in matthew 7 jesus says not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only one yeah. who does the will of my father it's like jesus is saying oh don't you think that you can do this cheap i'm also bothered i want to flip this back to you because i'm talking sure. too much now and i've given my view basically which is not that i think the sinner's prayer is bad or that you shouldn't do it just that i think it's not sustainable for adult faith for mm, for most mm-hmm, of us mm-hmm. could be wrong about that i want to i want to say this i'm one thing that does worry me and you did bring this up there's a kind of efficiency consumer thing to the sinner's prayer. Mm-hmm. Like I'm worried about churches and I know no one would ever put it this way. Maybe I'm cynical, but I'm worried about the way churches use sinner's prayers as a metric for like whether their ministries sure, are working. Sure. So like, you know, friends, sometimes some of us who had the sinner's prayer prayed with us like as kids, though that children's pastor had to report to like the senior pastor or somebody to be like, how many prayers did you get? And that's a sign of church health and growth. And I wonder when you start to use consumer metrics, metrics like that in numbers and that mimics like, you know, uh, like Amazon or a store, it draws faith into a dynamic that doesn't feel right to me. Like in it coercion, like you said, yeah. I don't know. Do you think that's too cynical or do you think that that's no, a fair concern? You know, and this is the pop culture podcast. And so ordinarily <laughs> like this, I would say this for like a 
like, you know, I want to know more or I need to know more podcast. But I would say that um, there's there's a cultural thing in the U.S. that ties like that, that is very difficult to escape. A guy named Max Faber talks about um, how we are shaped by Mm. our kind of consumer oriented um, profit driven culture. And so Christians aren't outside of their culture right like we're in embedded within it and so there can be this kind of pressure i mean i was a pastor's kid and a pastor's wife there can be pressure from all sides you know to to report that kind of stuff so yeah i think that there is a danger for that i think that there are like in terms of the long-term effects of of you know a life walking a life with god you don't want to feel like you were forced into something or that you were kind of like bait and switched However, um, so yes, I share that concern. I, I do think though that in, in my mind that there are sort of like two, if, if you were raised in a, a Christian setting, not all of our students were, but if you were raised in a Christian setting, you were probably raised by parents who had, had this idea that they wanted to mark your entry into the faith in a particular way right. as a young child right. but then there's also a moment where as an older person like someone with with who understands their own agency that's another moment where you mark it and different christians do that differently some of them baptize as infants we'll talk about that later in the semester or next semester some of them um uh, uh do something called confirmation when they're older mm-hmm. others do like a sinner's prayer when they're very young i was three years old when i did that with my mom however um, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember that. So there were other moments in my life sure. that I had to mark when I was older. Sure. So it kind of depends on where, you know, what you think those moments ought to be. And Christians have different ways of, of marking them. I do think like this moment of many moments for most of us of decision, like I will follow Christ. Those are important, but I think that they're not the whole story of a life with God. Students, we hope we haven't prejudiced you too far by both being kind of on the same yeah, side. Yeah, it's weird. Usually we're... Usually we're, we're yeah. not. But um, hopefully we've also given you some good arguments and some good things to think about to give you um, some some material to talk about, talk with, about, with. Preposition.